0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Producer Grind Podcast. Carrington and JB with me. Yo. What's good? Illmind in the building. What's good, bro? Yo,
1: what's good?
0: Finally got him here, man. We're here,
1: man. We're here. Big fan of what you guys are doing. Shout out to Producer Grind.
0: Definitely appreciate that, man. Yeah. You know, man, you know, um, I was going to, uh, say this later but you know i definitely got to give a shout out to you i mean because i know when you were on posado's place you gave a shout out to him for kind of you know starting the whole music producer content podcast kind of thing but we definitely got to g- give a big shout out to you and blackjack because you know what i mean you guys kind of paved the way for us to even get started and stuff. oh thank so. you man
1: that means a lot most definitely. yeah thank you most definitely man um yeah. so you know i
0: mean i know you got um a lot of credits under your belt you know what i mean you're a grammy award winning producer um you know been on the uh, jay-z beyonce the carter's album um J. Cole, love yours. Um, but we're going to get into all that, man. But i really want to just kind of take it all the way back to the beginning. I know you come from a, a family of musicians. You know, your dad's a musician, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of grew up. I know you uh, said you grew up around like just family jam sessions and stuff like that. How did you actually get into making beats,
1: though? So, I remember... I just remember being a kid and just instruments being all over the house. So, like, my dad played guitar. So... You know, I'm Filipino, so, like, I have, like, mad fucking uncles, right? So, and literally all my uncles play instruments. So, you know, I grew up in Jersey, and I remember every weekend we would go up to the Bronx in New York, and my parents would just do these, like, jam sessions. So it would be, like, my dad on the guitar, uh, his brother, like, on vocals, his other brother on the bass, his other brother on drums, and they would literally just, like, jam out. And I was a kid, you know, I was like, literally, I remember from being like five, six years old, just going up there and uh, just being around music. And, you know, my dad was in a band as well. Like he was like, a, he did like weddings and shit. Yeah. yeah. So I remember. Like cover going, band type stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I remember like going to the wedding parties and stuff. And that was like hugely impactful to my interest in music. But then when I started listening to like hip hop. I started doing more research, like oh shit, like people are making beats, like who are the, who are the producers, like what's a music producer, right? And that was like for me, that was, you know, Jay Dilla, Timbo, uh, Manny Fresh, uh, Neptune's, Swizz, like yeah. you know, Dipset, all that shit, makers, like those are the guys that I was like, okay, like I want to do this shit too, so that it started. With like being fascinated and having like this curiosity for hip hop, curiosity for like production, and one day I just started doing it. So like my dad had a keyboard, and I started messing around on the keyboard. Taught myself how to like play a little bit, uh, learned a couple of instruments. Like I play a little bit of guitar, a little bit of bass. I'm like not like good or anything, but <laughs> I-, I know like the basic stuff. And then from there, uh, it just I just kept going, you know. And then it turned into. Uh, a career you know went from passion to career so that was it and coming from like a family of like live instruments is that why you
2: gravitate towards pro tools versus like any other software
1: you know what the only reason why i use pro tools is because when i started there was at one point when i was making beats i was using a keyboard Mm -hmm. called an asr 10 Mm -hmm. and the i couldn't save beats like it was like a janky keyboard Mm -hmm. So I was forced to track all my stuff out of the keyboard into Pro Tools. And so I, like, I was, I forced myself to, like, learn how to use Pro Tools. And then one day I was just like, let me just make a beat in Pro Tools. And I loved it. And then I just never stopped. So, and then from there, you know, I tried Ableton and, and, like, Logic and FL and stuff. And, like, it just wasn't for me. So that's, like, I just stayed on on Pro Tools and, like, I still use it. So. Mm. Is there anything that like, you can do in Pro Tools that like you can not do
0: in, like, those kind of... Pro-
1: nah, I mean, there's certain things in other DAWs that sound better than in Pro Tools, but you can literally do everything in Pro Tools. Now, I would say, like, I think we're at version 12 now. Yeah. I think now, like, with version 12 moving forward, you can pretty much do everything. Like, all the MIDI capabilities, the, um, just, like recording in real time and playlisting and all that stuff like it's super intuitive so yeah
2: yeah. would you say your workflow is just as fast as somebody in FL
1: uh probably i know that might be hard to uh believe to believe right but you know i lately i've been kind of fucking around on youtube and showing people my process yeah i've seen that uh which i haven't really like done ever but uh I think, I think I'm think i pretty much at that point. You know, I'm still learning, too. Like, I'm still trying to get my shortcuts better and, and, like, you know, tweaking, like, my flow. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, it's there. But FL is crazy. FL, all that shit. It's all the it's fucking cheat codes, man. <laughs>
0: so, like, um, so, so one of the main things about FL is, like, you know, we gravitate to the stock plugins because the stock plugins get the job done. Are you mostly dealing not in stock plugins when you're on Pro Tools? Because... I feel like those aren't as good as like the FL stock plugins. Besides the EQ, the EQ is like (laughs) yeah, no, they're trash.
1: I'm not like a. I don't know. I think it comes down to like whatever works. I mean, I've definitely used stock plugins that like on paper are like pretty shitty, yeah, and like managed to make them sound good. Um, like one one example is uh, there's this stock plugin in Pro Tools called uh, it's like a compressor, the Dyn Three. Yeah yeah, 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 and i still use that shit for real. yeah like the on basic, vocals the basic a super basic compressor yeah, yeah. um because it's just super basic like it gets the job done and if you know how to use it it's it's fine so <clears throat> that and then also the uh the vintage filter the stock vintage filter on pro tools mm-hmm. uh i use that still mm-hmm. for like high cut stuff and all that stuff so um yeah some of the some of the like preset like you know, the filters and all that stuff is cool in Pro Tools, so it's just whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. I fuck with
0: Pro Tools, but I'm mad at them right now, man, because I upgraded to Catalina because I got the t- oh, subscription. Shit. And, bro, nah. like, I can't even open it. You click it, nothing happens, bro. No,
1: nah, never update your shit.
0: I had to, though. I because, learned that the hard way. Because Final Cut, I used Final Cut, uh-huh. and I couldn't open up Final Cut till I updated. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm going to be straight. No, nah, you should works. blame Apple for that,
2: honestly. Now, Apple has been tripping with the new They're iOS tripping. update. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It has been tripping.
0: It dropped the ball a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. But come on, Pro Tools. Like, man, help me out a little bit. like, <laughs>
1: Avid. I got a, I got a few homies over at Avid. So if you're watching this, holler at the boy. Yeah, man. Up. You got me pulling out help one of my, out here, guys.
0: my crack screen laptop with Pro Tools 10 Let's on it. Let's go.
1: <laughs> just to edit
0: the podcast and shit. Take it back. Way yeah. back. All right. Now, one thing uh, I remember w- listening to
2: on the Pensado's um, podcast is like, People don't really talk about more of like that six to seven year mark that you had before all the placements, and I wanted you to j- just really take a ten- like time to dive into that and talk about what that experience was like, going from just producing in the underground to really going to this level now,
1: because that's where I feel like the majority of our viewers are at. Right. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. those are well, okay. So just to create some, you know, like context, right? Yeah. Um, I started going like really, really hard. 2000, I want to say 2005, 2000 or yeah, 2005 was like the year where it was like, okay, no job, drop out of school. Uh, I'm just going to like go all in. Mm. And that from 2005 to 2012, what is that? Uh, seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those seven years was me building up my, my name like on an underground level, right? So like I didn't really have that much commercial success in those seven years but the types of relationships that I built and that I nurtured in those seven years were directly responsible for what happened from 2012 to 2019 mm-hmm. moving forward. Most of I would probably say 70 to 80% of like all of my wins between 2012 and 2019 were from relationships that I built from 2005 to 2012. Mm. So I think there is this sort of phase where a producer realizes that, okay, the next four to six years will be relationship building and building for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people just want the quick, success they want a placement they want the placement they think they'll be out of here if they get a drake placement which to a certain extent yeah it'll put you on the map and people start to you know recognize and and stuff like that but the real the real um i think the real perspective on it is what types of relationships can i build right now so that in 10 years the intern that i meet over at def jam is an executive Mm. and will now at that point give me the put me in those rooms and give me the right opportunities. You know, there, there's so many people that I met in 2005, 2008, 2010, who were interns, who were managing an upcoming artist, and I did them a little solid, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and that artist never took off, but now they're a VP ANR mm-hmm. at Def Jam. And they're like, oh shit, ill, that's what's up. Yo, you looked me out 10 years ago. What do you need? we working on this new... Blah blah blah. Right, um, right. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: it's like a stock investment. Exactly. Kind of it really you're,
1: is. You're, it's literally investing. It's like, it's like uh stock investments, but you're investing in people. Yeah. You're yeah. investing in relationships. Right. And so if you're if you're consciously applying that mentality of like, let me let me prioritize relationships with people yeah. and nurturing those relationships, keeping in touch. You know, I saw the Ryan Leslie episode. Shout out to my my boy Ryan. Uh he talks a lot about. Building relationships and yeah. keeping in touch with people with Superphone, which I think is super powerful. Mm-hmm. I was one of the first people to use Superphone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to have met Ryan at that same moment, and he gave me an account, and I went crazy with it with the drum kits. It was it was wild. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those relationships that you build now are the ones that are going to change your life later. Right. And as long as you do that enough times, you know, for every fifty people you meet, maybe you know. 80% of them drop off, but that little 20%, those mm. five or 10 people might go on to do big things um, and you can help each other out
0: in think, the future. I think that's big because I feel like, I feel like when, when we think of, oh, relationship building, we think, okay, I got to DM th- this producer who's got this many placements. I got to, you know what I mean? Send him loops. I got to do this and that. But it's really like the, the people that are like on the same level as you kind of just.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's why I always say the best, way to network is to network um, horizontally right sort of vertically mm. right you want to network with your peers the guys that are like right here uh, ev- you know everyone's trying to network upwards and they're trying to get to Drake they're trying to get to Kendrick or the big A&R at this label and yes yeah, so, like with persistence you might be able to pull through and, and cut through the noise Yeah, but for most people just based on numbers and percentages like the odds of that happening are very slim right so, when you look to your peers, you know you you have you have much a much higher chance of really connecting with people. And sure. what
0: does that look like? Is that sending free beats, sending free loops? What is what is that? Um,
1: Recording I think, people for free. I I think really honestly, I think it comes down to providing value, you know, in whatever way you can. And I, I know lately the conversation's been the free thing where it's mm-hmm. like you know the click funnels and here's five beats no, I mean free, outside you know? of that just like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's hugely strategic for sure and I think that is the idea mm-hmm. but I think that it doesn't always have to be like a free fill in the blank mm-hmm. you know it could be as simple as like uh you know knowing someone who could do something and then doing making a referral mm-hmm. you know like or you know saying hey like Yo, oh, I, I noticed you're working on this. I have a guy who could do that for you. Yeah. Let me make that connection for you guys. And then right. walk away. Right. Like no percentage, no whatever. Just do your thing. And that's like a very selfless move, right? You're, you're maneuvering in a way where you're being very selfless with what you're giving. Yeah. And I think if you do that enough times over enough years, those same people are going to remember those favors and they're going to come back and you're gonna you're gonna get that uh blessing you know later on at some point and and i'm I'm living proof of that you know i I remember two thousand and five to two thousand and twelve it was a lot of favors, a lot of yo, what can I do for you? you know obviously, I was like selling beats too mm-hmm. yeah and like making a little bit of bread, but most of it was, yo, like I got you. what do you need yeah. what do you need? what do you need and and it paid off so
2: and that's one thing that you talk about a lot like in one of your live streams you're talking about like how you're not so uh, money-driven and focused on, like, what can I get? What can I get? I was curious to see from your perspective, what are some of the early mistakes, (laughs) mentality mistakes that you see guys come in with when it comes to this, like, producer game or this music game? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Me too. Say it one more time. (laughs) Uh, Just, like, what are some of the early mentality mistakes you see guys make and, like, what are ways they can correct that? Because I remember you talked a lot about giving, 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 but we... Oftentimes, it's hard to go against that. I want to receive, receive, receive.
1: I think it's discipline. Really, really, it's just discipline. You know, you can train your mind to uh, respond to certain things. So, the way I look at it, and what I've been doing for like a pretty long time now, is I'll look at every situation, every opportunity, every room that I'm in, every person I meet. I always default to, uh, paying attention to only the positive thing about mm-hmm. it, right? So, like, if I walk into a room for the first time with, like, Drake or something, right? He's, like, mm-hmm. this huge star. There's positive things that can happen, and there's definitely negative things that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. I can I can go in that room and think to myself, fuck, is, is Drake going to like me? Or is he going to like the beats I play? Or, like, what if I say something stupid? <laughs> and it kicks me out or like what if i piss forty off or like i don't know it could be anything and really what you're doing when you're focusing on the negative you're traumatizing yourself into thinking that something will happen before it even happens right and so the interesting thing about this is so i am one of my idols is uh um joe dispenza you guys should look him up but he's a he's a neuroscientist and he talks a lot about the brain and how people think and act, and he has this uh, concept where I don't—I think it's a fact. I don't think it's a concept, but he has this uh, thing where, you know, the brain doesn't know the difference between something actually happening in real life and something mm-hmm. that you imagine, mm-hmm. because it's—it's—it only responds. The subconscious responds to your emotion and your feeling and your thinking, right? The brain is in our Makes in our sense. heads. The brain isn't exposed to the outside world. It's uh, it's fed information via our senses, so our eyes, our ears, our touch, you know, all of our senses, taste, and then that goes into electrons into the brain, and the brain says, "Oh, that's an apple," or "Oh, that's you know, tea," or "Oh, you're you know, doing a podcast right now." So if you experience those things in the real world, the brain knows it. But if I go to bed tonight and I think about it, the brain. Doesn't know the difference between it actually happening or if you're imagining it so when you imagine trauma and you you pay attention to the negative stuff your brain is like fuck drake's not gonna like our beats Mm. and then when that happens all these like endorphins start shooting in your brain and then you go into fight or flight mode right and when you're in fight or flight mode you're just on defense Mm. and when you're on defense you do really dumb shit.
2: Mm.
1: Right? And so a lot of people out here are maneuvering on defense. Everyone's yeah. just on defense. Everyone's fucking like... Tense. Tense. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm, I want this, I need this, I'm desperate. I, I can't you fuck know, this up. I can't, I can't fuck this up. And then they're functioning you know, off of fear and, and just making stuff up. So it, it's So they call it double trauma mm. where you're traumatizing your brain before it even happens. And then if it does happen, your trauma, your, it happens twice.
0: Dang, right. So now you double
1: discouraged. Now double you're double trauma. discouraged. Damn, double trauma. That's deep as fuck. Double trauma, and then your brain gets into these patterns where you just, you just, you're just so, uh, you're just so acclimated to just this trauma that it affects your decision making in the real world. Right. So I do the opposite. Right. I traumatize myself positively. Positive trauma. Think, it's what called if I go positive trauma I just made that right. up, positive trauma i copyright trauma. that shit <laughs> <laughs> if, Vinny, if you're my attorney, if you're watching this shit copyright that shit positive copyright trauma. That right. the but to me positive trauma is going into a situation or maneuvering in such a way where you pay attention to the positive outcome, positive potential outcome and believe it as if it could be true and so if you believe it as if it could be true, your brain is like, oh, okay, cool, right? And then if it doesn't happen in real life, the brain will rewire itself to help you make the best decisions in real life to get you closer to it actually happening. Because that's really what the brain is. It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll give you the fuel and the decision making to get you closer to the thing happening, Mm. right? So if you think about it enough times, the brain is just trained.
0: It's kind of like like, law of attraction too. It is, it is.
1: But this is, this is, that's why I love Joe Dispenza because the law of attraction is more like, well, if you think it, it'll happen. No, like what's the science behind that? And this is the science behind it is the energy that you feed your subconscious mind will affect your decision making, which will affect the outcome in in the real world. So, if you're traumatizing your brain um, positively, and you're thinking, and you're paying attention to positive things, then you're going to make better decisions in the real world. And the, the chances of those things actually happening in real life increase dramatically. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you're, you're talking to someone who's been doing that for like 10 plus years, and all this crazy shit's been happening to me since 2012. This man just dropped some yeah. gems on That's him. just yeah. some super solid. All right, podcast over. We'll catch y'all next episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, peace. Right. Yeah. Very dope episode of the book. Oh, right. <laughs> That's
2: all you need. That's crazy. Damn. Is this dude on, um, was he on the Joe Rogan podcast? Dispenser. Yeah. I think he was. Yeah, because I remember learning about um, the decision making. This guy made the analogy that your brain ha- creates these sort of pathways and it's like a skier going down a fresh, like a mountain with fresh snow and the mm-hmm. more, whatever path you take, the deeper the groove gets. So whether if it's a negative or a positive, you're going to go down that groove more often. It sounds like you've been training yourself in the positive.
1: I have. Hmm. I have. I have. Um, Super sauce. It's, cr- it's crazy because like every year since 2012, every year has been crazier than the previous. And I've been predicting that in my head. I'm like, next year is going to be in every, every year I say, yo, next year is going to be crazy. Next mm-hmm. year is going to be even crazier. And it has been. Right? Like the if you look at my trajectory since 2012 on a graph, like right. it's doing this.
0: Exponential type, Right? Shape.
1: It's like, yeah, it's like curving, like very sharply upwards. Yeah. And and then, so when I thought about that, I'm thinking, okay, what could possibly happen for that curve to drop off? Mm. Right? If, if I'm trending this way, then usually when stuff trends, it trends. Right. Right? right? Unless there's like some traumatic event or like, The world blows up or like, God forbid, you know, something happens to me, Mm -hmm. then that will drop off. But as long as I continue to practice the same things that have been working, this, my graph will keep trending upwards.
2: Okay. Well, what about with a guy that we all know that's, bro, 2019, that's
1: my year. 2020, that's my year. But nothing changes. Where is the disconnect there? Well, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at someone psyching themselves out and saying, yo, 2020 is my year. But I think that's also conducive to what you define as like what, like what does that look like? What does your year mean? Does that mean like you have a number one billboard single, or does that mean you got your first placement, mm-hmm. right? Because if you say 2020 is my year, and then you finally get like a major label, major label placement, then yeah, 2020 is your year, mm-hmm. right? So I think, I think more so happens it, it it more so has to do with what you define as like what you want that year. And then if you actually achieve it. Um, So do you actively
0: kind of like set those goals or you just kind of like just kind of just think positively in
1: general? I do. I set very specific goals. um, But then I also uh, I also train my mind to realize and to understand that, like, I have no idea how to get there, Mm. which is very, a very interesting thing. Um, Steve Jobs has this uh, really interesting quote. He says, you know, you can connect the dots backwards, but you can't connect them forwards. Mm. And You can't
0: really predict it that deep.
1: Yeah, you can't predict it deep. It's like being in a car at night. You can see where the headlights stop, but beyond the headlights, you can't see, you know, past that. Mm. And I think maneuvering in this industry is, is exactly that. You know, you can see just so far ahead of you, but you don't know what's past that, right? But as long as you pay attention to what's in front of you, in, in my mind, it's being in the moment and like being mindful of like what's happening now and and setting short-term goals and realistic goals, but then believing that those long-term goals could exist and you could achieve those. But then also at this end, this is the key component to it. Also understanding that you don't know how exactly it'll happen, but you know, it will. Mm. Right. So, I believe I will win a Grammy one day. I don't know with who. I don't know what year. I don't know what record. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I know it'll happen. Mm-hmm. right? So as long as you believe that it will happen, just continue on the path and, and let your your mind and let the universe lead you to it organically. And I think that's like the number one um, issue with the with the producer community is we're we're training ourselves to think that it's all strategy. When to a certain extent it is, but most of it is faith, uh, uh, belief, believing in yourself, trusting the process, being positive. Uh, a lot of it is those four things.
0: Yeah. But now, okay, so what about the balance? Because I definitely think there's there needs to be some strategy in game planning because mm-hmm. like we've talked about this in a couple of episodes, like we talked to like Cash Money AP and Young Keo guys like that, like kind of, Found great success without really game plan and just kind of going off of faith and just doing winging it type shit. But we also know that for every one to two of those guys, there's a hundred thousand producers that aren't gonna make yeah. it by winging it. And you know what I mean? So, what do you think about that?
1: I would say, I would say the first step in any of that shit is trying things and finding what you love. And it's almost like finding your calling in a way, you know, um for every 100,000 producers or beat makers. There's a, a a large percentage of them. I would. I mean, this is probably inaccurate, but I would probably say, ninety five percent of them aren't really in it because they love it. Mm. Like, aren't meant you know? to be beat makers. Yeah, which is okay. Mm. You know, if you're seventeen and you downloaded FL Studio, and you're interested in it, and you you might be passionate about it, and you might do it for a few years, but that might not be the thing that your mind and your heart is trying to find. Mm. Right, that might lead you to the pathway of like being an MC or being an engineer. Maybe that's your calling. Right, being but I a think video
0: guy, like the
1: longer you do it, the more you're going to realize for yourself if this is actually your calling. And I think for a lot of people, it isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's okay to try shit, you know. Um, so, so yeah, there's this element of knowing first if this is like what you're ultimately like wanting to do. Um. And then going with that, and I, I, I just, I personally believe that that's like a deal breaker. You know, if, if you're not, if this isn't your calling and you're not, and your heart isn't telling you that production is your thing, then it's going to be really hard for you to maneuver. You're going to have all the strategy in the world, but um, it's, it's going to be very difficult. So I would say that.
0: And did you ever set like time limits and be like, oh, if I don't do any, if I don't do something by this, by the time I'm this age, it's, I'm giving up or? or Never
1: never i uh i never put deadlines on on myself now that's not to be confused with like goal setting and you know strategy there's there's a lot of that shit for sure but uh i never i never put myself in this like perspective in this box of like i'm running out of time mm. you know cuz cuz when you when you look at stuff with a time limit you're you're thinking small Right, you're you're coming from a place of, uh, of uh, it's it's basically the opposite of abundance. Scarcity, right? scarcity—that's the word. Mm. So it's it's a scarcity mindset. I have limited time, limited. Right, the word "limited" just fucking pisses me off. <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> so like everything about your being and, and your and your thinking should be abundant. Right, I have all the time in the world. Mm. I have all the patience in the world. Have, there's all the money in the world to make right yeah. there's a billion placements i could potentially get in yeah. the next 10 years with a billion artists the next drake in 2031 i'm producing for that guy you hey, know what back, i mean back. like the, it's just having that mentality i think the abundance mentality is like very very crucial and i think unfortunately uh, a lot of people either aren't aware of it or don't think it's important, or don't know how to apply it, or just need some time to understand it and to start to condition their mind to get into that um, frequency.
0: And then I think you gotta also consider like, you probably never like, you know, go if you go back like 10 years, what you're doing now might not be the exact thing that you envisioned. I mean, and you're going to discover new things along the way, like, yeah, you're not making every album, but you know what I mean? You're traveling around, you're linking up with producers, you're getting money from doing events, from making sample packs and all kinds of just different things that you probably never even thought of, but just stuff that's just going to come, you know, during the process.
1: Exactly. That's the headlight thing. You know, all, all this shit that I'm doing, I never predicted. I never predicted, but there are a few things that I predicted, mm. right? I knew I was going to win a Grammy. I knew I would work with Jay Z one day. Jay was always like the guy. Like I have to work with Jay. You're not. You can't be part of the elite if you don't work with Jay. You got to work with Jay. <laughs> I don't care what generation you're from. Yeah, working with J- Jay to me is still like the highest honor over any artist. Why? Alive today. I think it's because of how long he's been around the amount of impact in the industry that he's had, uh the the type of uh positive impact that he's um you know, that he has in, in our culture. Uh and just what he's done. I mean I mean Jay Z, right? Like he's he's like is is he the oldest active rapper? right now, or one of the oldest. He would have to be, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, he's leading the charge. Mm. I don't know, I I can't really name anyone else that's like leading the charge more than Jay in terms of like, hip hop. I'm talking about like, the culture of hip hop. Yeah. Right? Mm.
0: And it's like, he, still, he could drop an album next year, he's gonna have a radio single. Right. He's gonna do millions of streams, you right. know what I mean? It's gonna be a big deal no matter what, every time.
1: Yeah, but even, even outside the music though, right? Like, you don't have to be a huge Jay-Z fan. I know there's like, obviously like, there's a a a few generations now that like didn't really come up on jay which is mm-hmm. like totally okay but the fact that he's still like in the front of the line in terms of like the when, when you look at it like a race mm-hmm. i don't know if anyone's in front of jay i mean mm-hmm. maybe dre maybe maybe puff but in terms of rappers i think jay is still in the front of the line in the marathon mm-hmm. so like he would he would exponentially be the guy that you want to get to you know and then you have drake then you have kanye then you have the Coles and the kendricks and the whatever right Mm. so yeah while we're talking about jay let's talk about no the the song
0: and how that came about
1: yeah so me and me and boy wanda me boy wanda and, and jahan sweet uh did that record and um and that was just a random beat that me and boy wanda made so me and Wanda just like make beats and we send each other stuff and every so often they get placed and it's really that simple. Mm. Yeah. You know?
0: And then how did, so when I'm looking at the Spotify credits, Jay and Beyonce are listed under producer credit. How, mm-hmm. did, how does that happen?
1: Because they're J&B. That's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking they're like, J&B. They're the gods. We were talking and I was like, I wonder I wonder how the, the this yeah. question will go. Yeah. It's but, just, it's just, it's just uh it's just a super honor to even right. like say I did that. Yeah. Right? So like they got the leverage. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys, <laughs> what do you guys want, man? Yeah,
0: right. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> How do you want me to spell my name? Like, what? Do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I respect it. I respect yeah. it. it. Really, is a real answer right there. Yeah. For real. Yeah, definitely.
2: Cool. Let's uh, let's transition. I want to talk a little bit more about the um, like in recent years. The I feel like when you were coming up, the gro- the producer community wasn't as much of a community as it is now and seeing where it's gone do you wish you would have invested more into the YouTube content early on being that you joined
1: that you were really taking it serious since 05 um this is going this might be a, an answer that's hard to believe but I'm, I'm going to say no I'm going to say no um the first thing is that you're absolutely right the community right now is definitely more of a community um, back then in 2005 Pretty much going '05 to 2011, maybe even 2010. Um, the shit was like very cutthroat. There was you know, like no collaboration. You no said. collabs. You know, if you look at all the production credits back then, it was usually pretty much one producer. Yeah. Um, and if you didn't know the right people, you weren't getting a, a credit. So like my first, my first like kind of foot in the door was like with G Unit, mm. right? So shout to uh 50 and. Shamani Excel, who was the president of G Unit around the time, like 2005. And I remember very clearly, and if, if anyone's watching this or listening to this, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But I'm pretty sure 50 Cent, G Unit, Shamani Excel were the first guys to take unknown producers and give them an opportunity to be on a major label album. Hmm. before that pretty much no one was doing that right think about think about pre G-Unit right you had Jabra Willashanti the early early 2000s was a weird ass decade like (laughs) that was not for nothing no offense to the artists, but that was a weak decade for music Mm. 2000-2005 was like pretty pretty weak as opposed not fully but like you know you had 50 and Eminem and All that shit, of course, but like for the most part, like the producer community wasn't really a community yet. Mm. So prior to that, you it it was pretty much impossible to get any placements. Mm. Like you couldn't, unless you were, you know, Pharrell, Swizz, Tim, uh, you know, organized noise, uh, trackmasters, makers, right? So. That being said, like, how do you survive as a music producer? Mm. You just do underground shit. You work with people coming up, right? Mm. And that's what, that's what I was doing. So, yeah, man, I think, uh, I think the G-Unit stuff was, like, the first foot in the door. So that led me to increasing, like, you know, my awareness and stuff like that. And then the relationships I was, I was able to build with, like, Shaw Money and, and people I met through there and all the other stuff I was doing kind of led me to this.
0: Did you ever ask them why they were gravitating towards underground producers?
1: It was super smart because back then, if you were a producer, a bit, you were a big producer. If you were getting major placements back then, like you were a big deal. And you were getting, these Thanks. are rumors, but you were pretty much getting like six figures up front, mm-hmm. like producer fees. I remember at one point, and Tim, big homie Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember a rumor going around that Timbo was getting like half a mil per beat. <laughs> Back then, yeah. Timbo, I know you're watching this. Let me know, man.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, but uh, you can't get that. So G it was smart. They're like, we're not going to pay you half a mil beat. We're going to go with the kid from New Jersey who has good beats and we'll cut them a check for like 20 and we'll save a bunch of money right. and we'll put them on at the same time and that's what they did. They did that for me. They did it for Jake One, uh, you know, um, DJ Khalil, DJ mm. Khalil, uh so so many of us man knots i mean knots is a legend but you, you see what i'm saying
0: mm. yeah for a beat.
1: crazy w- crazy why, why do you think that
0: the it started to become a community and we kind of shifted more towards like collabing and cause now that's like the whole thing now <sighs> especially like the last like five years
1: mm-hmm. not to toot my own horn by any means I think drum kits was was a big starting point. Not the starting point, but I think the idea of a drum kit mm-hmm. shifted the culture. Because before 2011, there were no drum kits. I mean, right. the, the drum kits you found were like uh, Guitar center, Wonder, Blue like Leg Shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Boy Wonder, you know, whatever, WWE. like unofficial... Okay rips yeah, yeah, right and then the official ones were like Big Fish Audio or like what else like uh Shout the Sounds for samplers like a couple the ones that
0: came on CDs yeah the CD like joints yeah.
1: so you didn't have digital drum kits from a, a producer call it a producer drum kit mm-hmm. so uh in 2011 going to t- 2012 I was like I was like fuck that shit <laughs> you know I have like a little bit of a name like in the underground I'm curious to see if uh, producers who are like semi-established like myself could put a drum kit out and if other producers would would use
0: it. Is there a market for this? Is, is there
1: a market for this? And and the reason why I did that was because I was telling myself if like Timbo dropped a kit or if like Dilla dropped a kit, I would buy that shit mm. in a heartbeat. And then I asked myself, how much would I pay for that? I told myself I would pay I would pay $500 right. for, a, for a Timbo kit, right? right? I probably wouldn't have because I was broke as shit. <laughs> but I would pay, like, whatever I had to, like, have access to that. That's, like, right. gold. F-y. So then I told myself, I was like, well, if there are mind fans out there who are producers, what would they pay? And then I told myself, I was like, man, let me just make this shit super affordable. And let me give them 140, 130 sounds, right, in a folder. And so I was like, I remember selling it for 20 bucks and then eventually it went up to like 25, 30, but I was like $20, whatever. So I put a PayPal button up on my blog and then I woke up, I didn't think anything of it. I thought like five people would buy it. (laughs) So I woke up the next morning, I look at my PayPal account and there's like $3,000 in my PayPal account. And I was like, holy shit. Hmm. So I look at my email and there's like all these alerts. PayPal alerts, like, boom, 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 boom. So, like, I was like, shit, this shit's kind of crazy. It's just, like, making money. Like, people want this. So, I was literally replying to every email. Yo, I appreciate it. Here's your download link.
0: Yeah, you had to manually send it I
1: manually did that shit. Yo, here, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then from there, I realized that it was a natural business. And then I migrated to a Shopify Mm. storefront. And that was around the same time Drum Broker, you know, HipHopDrumSamples.com. My mm-hmm. man Alcota was doing his thing. See,
0: I always thought that was you. I always thought no. You so, on drum so
1: Alcota hollered at me, and he was like, "Yo, um, I started this website. Um, why don't we partner up and put Black Kit Volume One on my website too?" Mm-hmm. So that was Black Kit Volume One was the first kit on Drum Broker, mm-hmm. and then from there we got Frank Dukes. He started doing sample packs, and we we're I was doing sample packs. Um... And the Frank Duke story is crazy because Frank, I remember meeting Frank in like 2004 when I was, I was dating this girl in uh, Toronto. Um, shout out to her, man. She's awesome. But uh, I was uh, da- dating this girl in Toronto and uh, I'd never been to Toronto and I knew one person in Toronto and it was Frank Dukes. And back then his producer name was Phase One, mm-hmm. like P-H-A-S-E-1, yeah. right? And he was like making boom bat beats. And and I met him on a forum, and I was like, "Yo, I'm in Tor- I'm in Toronto, so phase one, let you all link up." So I remember meeting him in person, or whatever. And then he eventually went on to do like the sample pack stuff. But I'll, I'll, speaking of sample pack shit, like I want to just say as a side note, the real sample pack like goat is uh this guy Nick Brongers from Toronto. Um, he he was like the first person to like make a sample, basically. Mm. Like, soulful sample loop and, like, did it all on his computer and this was 2008. Yeah. So 2008, Nick Brongers, and the re- only reason why I know that is because when I was with G-Unit, I was working with Dre, right? This a and that was with Dr. Dre and I remember he was feeding me these samples in mm-hmm. 2008 and I was asking him, like, yo, what records are these from? He was like, nah, man, we got this, we found this kid Nick Brongers, he does all this shit on his computer, mm. and I was like, "Fuck, that's crazy!" Wow. So, Nick Brongers is the real, the real sample. Is he still making samples? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I'm sure he might be. Mm. But so anyway, not to track off too much, mm. I think the the drum kits had a lot to do with it because yeah. it opened up the mentality of like sharing with people. This is my assistant lyric. What's He's good. He's good man. Come on in, bro. Um, it opened up the door to let's collaborate as opposed to fuck you, that's my snare, you can't have it. Yeah, Mm. yeah. And people were coveting sounds. People were were hoarding sounds. It's like, no, you can't know what I use. Uh, And so I think that opened, helped open up the door. And I think the sample pack stuff really opened up the door as well. So, um, and then just YouTube tutorials, like all these YouTube influencers, just sharing information. It just, we've become like a a generation of like sharing, mm-hmm. which I prefer. I think it's amazing right. personally. So, like, that's like back
2: to the whole scarcity versus abundance mindset that yep. you talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Now, a lot of people say that uh, samples and stuff have become a crutch. What would you say to that?
1: Samples a crutch. Um, loops and samples. Or I think they're the opposite. Really? I think samples are using sample loops as a crutch. Same people. Don't I'm not know how saying to we think that. We're just. Yeah. I I, I see it as the opposite. I see sample loops as a way to create music that you wouldn't normally think of creating. Right? Like I can make my own samples and sample myself and just make my own beats, which I do a lot, obviously. But I enjoy sampling other people and using other people's loops Mm because then I can make beats and step out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Right? So not only is it opening up the door for my creativity, it, it's also opening up the door to collaboration, someone else sharing the revenue, yeah. building relationship, and then right. also just like convenience too. You know, like not everyone wants to make their own samples. People, there's still producers out there who love to just give me a melody and let me flip this. Right. Right? And that's how it's always been. In that's it. how it started,
0: right? That's yeah. how it started, right? Yeah.
1: So in a way, we're kind of still doing that, mm-hmm. but we're using each other's Samples now, so instead of paying out ninety percent publishing right, to some old guy, no offense
0: <laughs>
1: from the seventies to pay their kids mm-hmm. right, who we don't know, we're paying each other right, which I think is fucking amazing, that's keep, a great Keep point. the money in the circle, keep that shit in the circle, bro yeah. as long as you're doing fair business keep 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 it within the community within us, right, yeah,
0: well why do you think people are like, oh you Use loops. You're not a producer and stuff like. That. What? What do you think even started all that?
1: Um, jealousy, uh, scarcity mindset, um, those two things are huge. Mm. Yeah, I think if you if you don't have scarcity mindset and you're not jealous, you don't think that. I think it's that simple. Yeah, when you have abundance mindset, it's just you're you're rooting for people. Like you want people to win. Because you know that like you could make a million dollars and like so can I. Mm-hmm. And so can a hundred people. Because mm-hmm. there's billions of dollars out there to make. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like so much money to go around. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got an official
0: uh, Illmind kit on site. We or on, on the Ill site right now. Grind. The Ill Grind
1: loop pack. Ill grind loop Hit pack. that air horn. <laughs> 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 the Ill Grind um, producer sample pack, man. Um, you guys got to go that, man. I put a lot of a lot of time into that, man. There's some ju- jewels in there. It's exclusive, yeah. too. Yeah, super exclusive. So you can only get it here. Most definitely. Yeah.
0: Click the link, you know, in the description. We, we'll have it pinned in the comments and all that stuff, too. A little preview. You guys can preview the sauce, you right. know what I'm saying, as mm-hmm. always. <laughs> yeah, and
1: I want to I wanna hear what you guys flip with this shit, too. Well, we're, we're going to announce that shit yeah. at some point, right? we'll, we'll do it. Okay, definitely. cool.
2: One thing I wanted to—that um, you've been really good at doing, and I think all producers can really—and people outside of producing— Um, can take note of is how you've expanded to more than just a producer. You got the podcast, you got the, uh, the kits online, and you're also in the studio constantly making beats. Why do you, uh, how can producers step outside of just being a producer? Like, is it an entrepreneur mindset that you just naturally have? Or what is it that separates you from somebody that just, stays in the box
1: okay so it's so it's I love that question so it's two things it's uh curiosity and um sorry it's curiosity and fearlessness right mm. so being curious enough to try something and being fearless enough to know that it there's a possibility that it won't work and then being okay with it not mm. working so like at any given point in time the drum kit stuff could have been a disaster true it could have been. Right. Illmind is this. Illmind is a sellout. He's just trying to make he's money. Corny. He's corny for sharing, right. his, sharing his drums. Fuck him. Blackball Blackball him. Whatever. I'm sure there was some of that. at the Absolutely. Beginning. Absolutely. Right. They're all gone now. But um, <laughs> shout out to you guys. Uh, it could have went that way. Could have went left. Right. Illmind started a producer podcast. Oh, he's corny. Mm. He's trying to be on like a fucking radio host now, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Like Like a sports commentator after they retire. Yeah, like he's being a commentator. (laughs) Like now everyone got a podcast, right? So that was that was that went well. Right. Um so but but there's there's definitely like a few things that I've done that like didn't work. Mm. Right. I mean all of the potential placements that I could have gotten over the years that like you guys don't hear about where I put I flew out to certain places and and spent my own money to create beats for this particular artist for like weeks expecting that yeah, I'm definitely gonna get at least one on this project. Flew back home, ended up not getting any. You know what I mean? So that yeah. was a loss. So it's losses like that. And then 2010 I signed like a really bad publishing deal. Mm. Um, it, it was it was a it was partially my fault because I signed it without a lawyer. Wow. Ew, my man. 20, 10, bro. Oh my god. Yeah. So I signed it without a lawyer because I needed the money. Yeah, it was a bag. That makes sense. You know, it was a small bag too. Was it to
0: a major publisher?
1: You know? No, it was a, it was a an independent. Okay, mm. but it was it was an MDRC terrible deal. Shouldn't have done it. Um, but I took the bag, and I learned from my mistake. I learned from that. Mm. But the funny thing about that is it turned into a blessing. So I signed this publishing deal in 2010. It was a bad deal from this company. I'm not going to say who. All right. And so fast forward to 20. Fourteen, I started officially working with this attorney who's my current attorney now, and my current manager, who I've known both of them for more than ten years. And so when we clicked up and we started working together, they managed to not only get me out of my old publishing deal, but they signed me to a new deal, right, with this other company. I'll just say Cobalt, son Cobalt. And then a couple months after that happened. I found out that Cobalt purchased the entire catalog of the old publishing company that I signed the shitty deal mm, with. Wow. So I was able to reabsorb mm. my whole catalog wow. and gain, gain control back. So now I own 100% of my catalog Fire. of everything i produ- ever produced. Fire. Yeah. Super clutch. So that was like a blessing in disguise, but I had to experience that L to like get to this point, right? So... Yeah, man, it's all it's all relative, man. I think mm-hmm. I think fearlessness and curiosity, like being being willing to just try stuff because you're curious and because you think they'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And then do them. Just go ahead and do them and 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 do them with confidence, you know? Now mm-hmm.
0: we, we gotta stay on pub deals for a second real mm-hmm. quick, because I uh, know you had tweeted, um, how long can you stretch that pub deal?
1: Yeah. <laughs> go in
0: depth Yeah, what you're talking about.
1: Ooh. Um Publishing, de- publishing deals could get really tricky because I would say probably back then they were more dangerous because there was like one type of publishing deal that was happening mostly, which is MDRC, a song deal. Um, which is basically, you want me to break it down like what that is? Have you guys talked about Never song deals yet? No, okay, So the, the old school publishing deal model, which is the one that they were handing out like fucking... You get a deal, you get a deal, you get yeah. a deal. Uh it was big money up front, but like very long term investment. So mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of like a a bad publishing deal that you never should sign, right? And sorry, publishing companies, I'm about to put you on blast low key, but <laughs> Roasted. um so there's there's a, a an MDRC deal, which means, okay, let's say, let's say you get. placement your first placement with like rihanna like a huge single and you don't have a publishing deal yet so i'm a major publishing company and i'm going to offer you a one million dollar five song mdrc deal right which that's a real deal that's happened before so then we do that deal so now we have to ask okay what does that deal look like so it's one million dollars and it's a five song deal so what does that mean five songs well that basically means we're gonna give you a million dollars, but you're <laughs> bless you. Thank you. But you're responsible for delivering five songs to us to place in the marketplace major label placements. <laughs>
2: bless bless Thank you. you.
1: And once you fulfill those five songs, you're out of the deal and you're free. Right. So five song publishing deal. So one million dollars. So that basically means typically you'll get half up front. So if you sign the deal, we're literally like the day you sign, within 30 days, you'll get a wire for $500,000 in your account, (laughs) which sounds crazy, right? Mm. So they really do that. So 500K, boom, straight to you. So now you're locked into a five-song pub deal. So now let's figure out how do we fulfill that deal, right? So in your mind, you're like, I just have to produce five major label songs, right? So that's where the misunderstanding comes from. So when you look at one song, one song represents 100% of a pie, right? And so we all know that every song is split into two parts. You have 50% of it is the publishing, 50% of it is the writing, Mm -hmm. right? So when you look at the writing portion of the song, that portion, which is half of the pie, is also split into two portions. You have the writer-performer, and then you have the uh, writer-composer. Right. So the writer performer is like the artist on the song. So, like the, the songwriters, the, the actual artist on there. So, in this case, for the Rihanna song, Rihanna is, let's assume Rihanna is on the song and she wrote the whole thing and there's no features. She will get 100% of the writer performer mm. portion, which is what? 50%. Of 20, that pie. 25% the of the whole pie. Okay. Which yeah. is 50% of the writer. Exactly. Mm so she'll get 100% of that which is 25 of the whole pie so then we look at the other half of the writer and it's the the writer composer and the writer composer is the producers the producer the any samples uh, musicians whatever so if you produce the song you didn't you used your own sample you didn't sample anyone there's no co-producers you get 100% of the writer composer which, which is the 25. 25 the other 25 yeah 25 25 so this is what i always say I always say that the the publishing side of it, which is the other 50%, I always tell people it's basically a mirror image of what you have on the writer's portion. So if you walked away with 25% of the writer portion, then you also get the same 25% on the publishing. So the publishing side of it, you also get that lower half, 25%, right? And then Rihanna, since she got 25% of the writer she would get 25% of the publishing. So when you look at the whole pie, it's split in half. Mm -hmm. You get 50% of the publishing, or I'm sorry, yeah, 50% of the publishing, and you would get 50% of the writing, and then Rihanna would get 50% of the publishing, 50% of the writing. So that's one song, right? So when you look at the pie, and you see the publishing portion, you walked away with 25% of the publishing. That's 25%. You have, a to song. Get, you have to get to 100 to fulfill that one song. Wow. So technically you so have to 20? Yes. Yeah, so technically wow, you man. have to do that. Got him. You have to do that four times to fulfill to one, one song. Wow. And then you have four more songs to go. So the deal no, really publishing companies is in dirty. reality, the deal is, is like dirty. 20 songs. And not to mention, if you're a new producer and you work with Rihanna or a big star for the first time, like you're not walking away with all that publishing. Right, right. You might get like 10%. If you gotta that. do that 10 really? yeah. So it's it's a tricky. It's really okay. Cool. It's a, it's a really tricky uh, thing. So not to go too much into publishing, um, but there's there's really good deals nowadays. There's mm-hmm. admin deals where, oh, and by the way, that same deal they own one hundred percent. They'll usually say we own one hundred percent of yeah. You're not getting royalties after that. You're not getting well, not royalties, but like you're they're gonna retain ownership for for basically for right. life or for like the next twenty years, thirty years. And then they have like sunset clauses where let's say you fulfill your song deal magically. Yeah, you get a hundred songs out. Let's say after fucking 15 years, you finally did it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you finally did it. Yes, we, we, we finished it, right? So there's this thing called the sunset clause where from the moment that you fulfill your deal, from the day that you fulfill your deal, the percentage ownership starts to sunset. So instead of retaining Mm. ownership back to you, they keep it, let's say the first year, instead of 100%, they'll go down to 95. And then year number two, 85. Year number three, so for the next 20 years after that, they're still going to collect. But that's why it's sunset because it decreases every year. So it might take you another 10, 20 years to finally take back ownership
0: of your music. So but you said admin deals are kind of a good thing then.
1: Admins are cool because they'll there there's deals structured where they'll let you keep 100% ownership and then they'll just collect for you. So they'll collect your publishing globally and then they they might take like 20%, 15% of the revenue and then they'll give you their payouts. So there's that and then there's term deals where, you know, they might not give you that much money up front, but you'll start collecting like quarterly. <clears throat> so I would say I know this is confusing guys, but I would say the uh, the best rule of thumb is whatever money they're giving you up front, just always remember that you're gonna have to pay it back. Mm-hmm. So if you know you're not gonna get it popping and someone offers you a million dollar pub deal, but like you're not that going crazy out here, yeah. Understand that like it, it might take you a long time to pay that back, especially if you're not like out loan. here out here really getting placements like that. Mm-hmm. So you might want to say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to take the mill because I'm not worth that right right mm-hmm. now. Let me do an admin deal, something simple, and then I can build up to that, you know. So I don't have to owe money to people. So. Do you have any advice? Do you have any advice for producers on what they should do with the money when they get it? Invest it, man. Reinvest it back into your craft, and pay your debts. Pay the first the first, 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 first thing you should do is pay your debts, and I'll keep it simple: pay your credit cards off, right? Um, start with that. Start with paying your credit cards off, and then um, open up a business checking account. Okay, business mm. savings account. Mm. Those three; those are the big three. Open up a business checking, open up a business savings, and pay your debts, pay your credit card debt. And so I'll, I'll go through it quickly. So. The credit card debt is important because let's say you throw, let's say you get paid $500,000 and you throw it into your savings and let's say the APR on your savings is like 1%. So like every year you're, it'll deposit 1%, you'll gain 1% off of the savings account. But then you have like a credit card that's got $10,000 on it at like a 9% APR you're still losing money. Yeah. In fact, bad. Right? So you, you're, you're not in any position to make any type of SEP IRA investment or any type of investment at all. Like, you're in the fucking hole. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is get out of the hole. Pay your credit card debt with all, the high APR. And the smartest thing to do, if you have a credit card that's like $2,000 max, let's say, you can use it, right? But the best thing you can do is use the credit card, but bring it back to zero balance every month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, throw $200 on there or whatever, 500 do. and like be be mindful of your cash flow. Use the credit card and just make sure you can pay that in 30 days. If you keep your balance, if you use the card and bring it back to zero balance every month, your credit's going to go up mm-hmm. big time. So, that's step number 1. Uh step 2 open up a business checking and a business savings account. And in order to do that, you want to register for an entity. I would would personally recommend an LLC. So figure out, depending on what state you're from, go to google.com and say, how do I start an LLC? Like 200 bucks on LegalZoom. Exactly. So you can go to LegalZoom or you can try to do it yourself. Go to LegalZoom, register for an LLC. When you register for an LLC, they're going to provide you with a tax ID number. So the tax ID number is basically like a social security number. So if you have a day job, your your uh your job pays you personal checks, right? With your so- under your social. And that's how you pay your taxes with your social security number. So the tax ID is basically like another entity. And anytime you get paid, you give you you get paid under the tax ID number. So when you walk into like a Bank of America and you say, "I want to open up a business checking account. What do I need?" They're going to tell you you need a tax ID number. We right. need to see your LLC papers, right? And you need at least five thousand dollars cash, right. mm-hmm. most minimum time you, balance. Most
0: times you don't even need that.
1: Most times you don't go right. to Chase.
0: I don't think I think you can put a dollar. it. it's like
1: a zero balance, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. So as long as you you have that, you, you're good to go. So that's step number two: open up the LLC, get your get your tax ID number, and then walk into a bank, find out what bank works for you, open up a business checking, business savings, and then from there you. You'll be on the way to at least having a cleaner, you know, financial yeah. situation. Yeah. Financial. That gems. might be the realest game yeah. we ever <laughs> saw on this podcast. Amazing. Bro. The, too, realest too the realest game. Yes, bro. Amazing. Right. Oh, and let me add one more thing while we're at it. Taxes. So Pay your taxes. Any any money, let me let me put it this way, right? Take it from someone who made mistakes in the past. Um the, the most conservative way to look at it is Every dollar that you make off of music, whether it's a drum kit or sample pack or you sold a beat or publishing checks, whatever, every dollar you make, you only get to keep 30% of it for yourself.
0: I thought you you only have to pay out 30%. I'll tell you why.
1: So the, the, the conservative way to do it is to only keep 30% and assume 70% of it is gone. I'll, t- I'll tell you why right now. So <clears throat> let's say you sign a publishing deal for a million dollars and you get a check for 500000 Getting a check for $500,000 automatically puts you in a different tax bracket, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'm pretty sure it's like 45% at mm-hmm. this point, tax. So let's call it an even 50, right? Because we're conservative. When you look at money, you have to always be conservative. So, or overestimate. So let's say 50% of my money is gone by default. So I'm down to 250k, right? So I have a manager, I have an attorney, and mm-hmm. I have an accountant, right? So my manager takes 20%, my accountant takes 5%, my lawyer takes 5%. So 30% of that 250 is gone. So what is that? I'm I'm Asian, but I'm not good at math. Uh, <laughs> no, it's what is that? It's 20, clear, do you know? 20%. Of I know you're not Asian, but you're. We're talking 30. Almost there. 30% Fuck.
0: of 50. Yeah.
1: Well, 30% 250. thirty percent of two fifty. Oh, 50 yeah. is, uh,
2: no ten percent is twenty so times three. got may calculated. Fifty does, so calculated 50, yeah. Do the calculator. I'm saying one seventy five. One seventy
1: five times 0.3, five. Seventy
0: five. So
1: minus seventy five from two fifty. minus seventy five. So you got one twenty five. One seventy five. One yeah. seventy
2: five.
1: So now you're down to one hundred seventy five out of a half a mil. Thousand out of out of half a mil, right? So then there's there's this thing called quarterly taxes where when you're a business owner or if you're an entity and you're making that much money or if you're making six figures, every qu- every three months you have to pay the government uh, an estimated tax of what you owe them. So you have to calculate, okay, what did I make from January to March? Oh, I made hundred grand. So I owe the government X amount, 45% of that. So you have to cut them, literally cut them a check right. every three months. Boom, boom, boom. And then, if you overcalculate it at the end of the month, they'll refund you. So, it's dangerous. And you can't, if you're not paying quarterly taxes, you're going to get some shit in the mail right. like, hey, we see you made this much money, but we don't have quarterly taxes <laughs> yeah, for yeah, you. Right. So, you owe us this right now. Yeah. And then you're like, shit, can I pay monthly? And they're like, no, we're going to take your money from your account right. in 30 days. I don't know, I'm making that up, but nah, it's real. It shit gets real out here. So, but that's before what we... you buy anything crazy, man. Just start simple, start small. You can splurge. You can enjoy your money. I'm not saying by any means like how to spend your money, but just be smart. Yeah,
0: yeah. And if you are spending, make sure it's going to be something that's tax write off. Yes. <laughs> right, and right, and right. oh, you Equipment. know what? Let me add right, one
1: right. more thing. I know we're running out of time. I have to go to my event. But when you get to the point where you're free and clear, and you you have good cash flow and now you want to grow your money, I think a really good step number one, a simple thing, is to open up a SEP IRA account, right? And so a SEP IRA account is basically you put money in it and you're not allowed to touch it for a while. And and it grows, um, we call it compound interest, Mm -hmm. right? And so with compound interest, basically you're, it's like growing money out of thin air, which is wild, right? So let's say I put, Hundred thousand dollars in a SEP IRA at a three percent, um, three uh, percent growth rate, right, for for the compound interest. So in twelve months, if I don't touch that hundred grand, um, in twelve months the bank will deposit three percent of that one hundred grand into my account. Which again, 3, calculated 3, what is that? Three
0: thousand. Three thousand. So now,
1: 000. so yeah, so now I have one hundred thousand, one hundred and three thousand mm-hmm. dollars right yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so I have a hundred and three thousand dollars in that account I just made three thousand dollars of free money so then on the second year I get three percent again but now I get three percent of a hundred and three mm-hmm. not a hundred right so that's not that's that's more than three thousand dollar increase that's right. what's three percent of right, let me see a hundred and three a bit a yeah, little bit more. So every either. you don't yeah. have to do it. So every year it goes a little more. Right. Right? It looks like this. And then after ten years It starts going it crazy. It's like a snowball.
0: Right. right. Now you might be getting 20 grand a year. Yep. Something man. like that. It just doubles up every and time. And that's you could spend that every year. Bro. Crazy.
2: This might have been the most super sauce <laughs> podcast we've had. Good. <laughs> yeah, let's man. see. I know
0: you gotta go, man. Let's see if there's anything that we want to talk about that we super missed.
1: Um it's, I think this studio is pretty close. Can you look it up, Eric? It's pretty close, I think. So we're good.
0: Um what time is that? Seven
1: or six thirty? That's seven. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay, so we have a we have our producer
0: town hall coming up this Friday. Yeah, um, I like,
1: saw that. Congrats, guys. Thank you, I really wish I could be there. But mm. definitely, man. Definitely.
0: We, I mean, we're gonna be doing more of them, so we definitely gotta we gotta Amazing. get you involved, get you up on the panel, mm-hmm. and dropping these kind of gems. This is the kind of stuff that people need to hear, you know. What I mean like, like practical yeah, steps yeah. you can actually yeah, do instead man. of just
2: yo, bro, be smart with your money. Yeah, Come okay. On, how no. am I gonna be um, yeah. Dave Ramsey? Did you ever listen to him? No. Oh, okay. okay. Never mind.
0: I'll look I him remember. up I'll look him up um, so you know we got we got uh, we got Sunny Digital there we got Young Lamb we got DJ Toomp um, as well as you know some key Legends. behind the scenes players uh, you know we got some uh, entertainment lawyers um, our entertainment lawyer Carl Carl Folks is you know hosting the event hosting the panel moderating um, we got some producer managers we got um, the director of ASCAP Urban is going to be there um, and one of you know we're the the whole goal of this event is you know we, we want to talk about the problems that producers face you know as far as not getting paid getting you know messed up deals and stuff like that and just you know kind of just like steps that people need to be careful of but we also are talking about the steps to forming uh, an official producers union and Mm kind of what needs to be done for that and um, I just want to know what are your thoughts on like an actual producers union being successful and the viability of a producers union I love it I
1: love everything about it ever since Sonny brought it up um, it's been on my mind Um, and the fact that you guys are taking initiative and, and actually taking action to bring people together is taking us one step closer Instead being a reality. So, anything I can do to contribute, to help in any way, you guys always have my back. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, it's much, much, much needed. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's what we're doing, just trying to just get the ball rolling kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, listen, you're talking to someone who was motivated by not having shit. Yeah. So, I just started my own shit. Yeah. You know? And I always, I personally have always prioritized doing things that will nurture the community that gave me the opportunity to be who I am today mm. right so it's the very it's us like the very community that gave me the life that i have i owe that community like my everything mm. that's why i have the podcast that's why i have drum yeah. kits and i just want to keep giving giving because i'm every time i give i feel i feel like i'm i'm thanking the the same community that allowed for me to have this amazing life that i have so um the The idea of a co- producer community like gives me chills mm. like a, a union um to make that happen would be very special yeah so you yeah. definitely
0: you, you see it as a possibility of working
1: mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. um
0: and uh i I think a good way to end this off we got a fan question we had a couple, but we're only gonna get time to get to one crack a leg made it again crack
2: a leg crack a leg made it again Is he a regular? <sighs> this boy crack like is a regular yeah. Shout out to crack it like is cool Come definitely
0: on. definitely crack it like the man um, if you started over tomorrow what would you
1: do what would your strategy be if I started over tomorrow what would my strategy be okay so like haven't made any beats yeah like you start over tomorrow you, you,
0: know, you got you got your brain but you don't got any connections you don't got any placements you got nothing
1: and have I made any beats or no no, you wake up with a new body.
0: You don't, okay, got, no okay. equi- you don't got no equipment. You, you're working a nine-to-five.
1: All right. Uh, the first thing I would do is save up enough money for some equipment. I think I would start simple. Go to YouTube tutorials and find out how to use FL. Download FL. Save up for a computer. Save up for some headphones. And then just like teach myself how to make beats. And I would use all of my free time to just learn how to make beats i'll probably do that for a year just keep my day job do it for a year maybe two years do it enough and do it every day to the point where i feel like pretty good about my beats and then from there i would start to go public on my uh social media so i'd create instagram account twitter account facebook account um snapchat triller um uh, what was the other one? TikTok, TikTok. TikTok. Gary V. Uh YouTube channel, BeatStars account. And then I'll I'll go to uh Shopify and I'll create my own website. And so I would start to just like brand myself and just start posting beats every day, start posting what I'm doing, myself in the studio. I don't think I would take the YouTube route. Like, hey guys, today's <laughs> I'm making a beat out of, you know, I don't think I would do that. Because mm. I would still be driven by the same stuff, which mm. is like, I want to make good music. Mm. So in addition to doing all that, I would probably try to go out and look for people to work with, like for free. So like I would look for like one rapper and one singer that I really love. Maybe I found them on SoundCloud or an event or something. And I would just spend, I would invest my time and energy into those two people. And to learn how to become a better producer, but and also develop, start developing some artists early. Uh, and then and then from there just jump on every opportunity I can you know I'll go to Pastel past the aux events Uh <laughs> I would definitely go to blabkits.com download some kits I would go to producer grind download the, the new sample pack uh, grab a couple more while you're there I'll grab a couple more <laughs> I would binge watch producer grind episodes hey let's get it binge watch blab chat on Those, two screens at the you know same what I'm saying time. two screens baby <laughs> you know what exactly and and just learn, man. Soak it up and be patient and just know that, like, I have all the time in the world, but I'm not going to be afraid to try stuff. Mm,
0: right. I'm
1: not going to go hard on things that don't excite me. I'm just going to go hard on what excites me right now. Pause. And that... <laughs> I'm done. <dying>. And, <laughs> and that thing is making beats, making connections, making songs. Facts, man. Yeah, and pay, try to pay off my credit cards. Hey, Why are we going all that. Right. I'll probably max them shits out. <laughs> cop, like a a, cop like a fucking, what is that, the UA audio shit for like 5G's? Yeah, <laughs> nah. Flights to VIP
0: producer grind session. VIP mine, producer grind. First, school, aux, first class aux, too. Back. <laughs> first, first class. Driver picking me up. Because he got the vision. And yeah, got SkyMile. <laughs> got Delta SkyMile. Yeah. It's all good. Hey man, we appreciate you pulling up, man. Making the time while you're out here, man. Pull up on us and drop these jams. This is some yeah. Cool, Most man. Practical yeah. Most practical steps. Most practical steps. Literally yeah. just like Good, the blueprint
2: man. for
1: everyone. Definitely. Good, man. And, and you know, it, it's crazy because I'm very outspoken on, you know, my podcast and my Instagram and my videos and stuff, but I just want you guys to know the whole community, like, my motivation behind all this stuff is to provide value and to just contribute insight to the industry, you know, and and to also know that Not everybody wants the same shit. Like, there's producers out there that are cool with making a few hundred grand a year or maybe 50 grand a year leasing beats. There's people that want Grammys. There's people that don't give a shit about Grammys. So I think that's one thing that I learned is not everybody out here wants the same stuff that I think they want. So I'll Mm. never impose on people what they should do. But I'm always going to talk about practical things that are that exist on a human level that I think will just make you a a, a better human but then also just a, be able to ful- live a more fulfilling life mm. okay. and that's uh, but I'm speaking in the language of production mm. but all of it is really rooted in finding yourself being mindful doing what you love having an abundance mindset so that's always going to be my intention Oh, so shout shout to you guys!
0: Great note to highlight to leave it off, huh, man.
1: Yeah, big shout out to you one more time, man.
0: Hit those links in the description, man. Check out all the stuff we got going on.
1: Let's go, baby. Out, in the
0: books, man. Signing up. Yeah, yeah, man.